You've got a bulletin. Uh, if you're here, you had the option of paper, but the handout, that's on all the live links, that's on the Facebook. If you click on the main page of mbtkc.org, uh, you, can, you can download that from the live link section, the live stream section of our church, and, and uh, you can fill out that PDF on your device. Now, um, having said that, I need everybody to pull out their device. There's a couple things, a few things that you'll want to get in the habit of doing, okay? Whenever, whether you're on the live stream uh, or here in house, okay, if you're on the live stream or you're here in house, this is for everybody. Invite somebody to, to attend worship with you, right? Uh, who would the Lord put on your heart to share the live stream out with? And then be bold to say, hey, I know the time that we're going through, it, it is what it is, but, but uh, here's a way that, that, that we can still uh, come to church together. Would you, would you be willing, would you come to church with me virtually and just share out one of the, whether it's the YouTube or the, or the Facebook, but get in the habit of sharing out and inviting uh, people to come worship with you. Now, for those that attend in person, okay, this is uh, why you, you need your device for a second reason, okay? And this is, if you're, on the, if you're on the live stream, do not do this, okay? This is just for the people that attend in-house. The city and the health department would like a record of everyone that's here. Now, you know there's been a big brouhaha over that, and uh, that's made the news several times, okay? So, it's the health department that would like it. It's not mandatory, it's completely voluntary. Personally, I don't see anything wrong with us saying we're here, and then if there is a COVID outbreak, the health department would like to know who you got your grubby COVID hands on, potentially. And so um, that, that is the purpose of that. MBT is not turning over our membership records to the state. That's not gonna happen, okay? Um, this is, what this is, is it's a voluntary attendance. I was in the building with a group of people for more than 10 minutes if there's an outbreak. Okay, so here's where you find that. It's on the front page. Uh, right underneath the service, right, Brandon? Yeah. So right there at the live stream link, there's an attendance button that you can hit and you can give your name, your information, and then that will be there if we can tie a COVID outbreak to MBT then the health department can make contact with the people that, that need to be contacted and get testing done uh, to see uh, the extent that the virus has spread. Does that make sense? So it's voluntary, um, but um, well, the Lord bless you and give you wisdom. All right, Philippians chapter one. Uh, well, Lord will, we'll be wrapping up chapter one this morning. Now, if you remember what we saw last time, okay, so for the believer, they recognize that their life is no longer sourced in their flesh. The beating of my heart is not what sustains my life anymore. Now, the beating of my heart sustains the life of my flesh. Uh, but my flesh is dead in sin. My life is now hid in Christ. And so for us, we recognize that our life is sourced in and it's secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever a, a, a Bible believer gets a hold of that concept, it's very freeing. It is a freeing concept. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter one and verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My life is Christ. This is why he says to the Galatian, uh, the Galatian, uh, the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Let me tell you, my life isn't in the flesh anymore. But nevertheless, here it is, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's the life of Christ in me. That's what's, that's what's rolling me now. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the word of God tells us that we're to live what we are in Christ. For me to live, I'm crucified with Christ. My life is no longer sourced in my flesh. And the life that I now live, it's Christ living in me and I'm living that life by faith. This is why the word of God tells us to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. Second Corinthians 13 verse five says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how the Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And that ought to start, that ought to start with the moment and the point, the doctrine of salvation. It ought to start right there. Am I born again? 
And then I ought to prove it out. Do I know from Scripture? Does the Scripture give me the assurance of my salvation? Do I know that I'm born again? Secondly, I need to know that I've got the witness of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. The Bible says the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm God's child. I can't tell you whether or not you're born again. I can't tell you whether or not you're going to heaven. Only the Word of God and the Spirit of God can confirm that to you. I didn't even do that for my own children. Every time the subject of salvation comes up, I give my kids the gospel. My oldest child is now a grown woman. She'll be getting married at the end of this month. If the subject of salvation ever comes up again, I will give Sophia the gospel and I'll just lay it out again. Why? Because I can't tell my daughter that she's born again. I don't know that. I mean, I believe that, but I can't ensure that. I can't guarantee that. Only the word of God These things are written to her so that she can know that she has eternal life. It's based on the doctrine. It's based on the truth, the bedrock of God's word. And then the word of God will tell her whether or not she's in the faith. And then the spirit of God bears witness with her spirit that she's God's child in Romans chapter 8. You have to get that from the Lord. Okay, now once you're saved, are you living saved? Work out your own salvation with trembling and fear. Examine yourself. Okay, I'm a born-again believer, but am I in the faith? Am I living in the faith or am I living reprobate? So for me to live as Christ, he says, then to die is gain. And look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Why? Because I need two Ephesians for you. That's what you need. You need some good old-fashioned Ephesians foring. I need to be a part of building you up in your faith, Paul says. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance and joy of the faith. I, I don't think it's my time yet, Paul says. I think I got more work to do with you. God's gonna use me in your life to build up your faith that, the, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming again, right? My coming to you again. So in terms of his flesh, Paul's saying, I'm crucified with Christ. And that's how I'm living. For me to live is Christ. And so he knew his ministry wasn't his call. Whether God's going to take him home or leave him at work, well, that's up to the Lord. See, as believers, there are many that need to know the joy of your faith. This is why God has you here taking up good space, breathing up good air. It's not so you'll just exist, it's so that you can matter in the lives of people. That's why God, has, that's why God hasn't taken you home yet. You exist to build people up in their faith, so invest in them. We need you to live Christ so that you'll Ephesians for us. Right, I gave that to you as homework last week, Ephesians 4. God gave us the, the, the pastors and the teachers. He gave us the word of God so we'll know what God's will, God's word says over our life. And the goal is for us then to be matured, to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know how, right? We got people investing the word in us so that we'll know how to roll and we'll know how to teach others to roll. We need somebody to Ephesians for us, Right? So that's supposed to be you and me. We're to be a source of edification and rejoicing in the lives of other people while we're taking up space and breathing up air. You ought to text somebody right now and say, I need you to Ephesians for me. You've been a source of edification in my life. Don't don't stop now. I know COVID's got things messed up, but do you have a word from the Lord for me, right? Text somebody and say, what has God given you that I need? Let's make sure that we're investing in one another. So we want to be a source of edification. We want to be a source of rejoicing in the lives of other people while we're here. But whenever you understand that your life is Christ, uh, you'll gladly do that. As a matter of fact, when you understand that your physical life is but to minister at the Lord's direction, well, that frees you. Whenever you get that the end of your life, the last beat of your heart, the last breath of your lungs... Well, that's just promotion into the very presence of God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That forms in you a foundation for boldness. I'm here as long as the Lord has me here. And as long as the Lord has me here, I'm going to encourage you and build you up in your faith. And the minute he doesn't have you, the minute he doesn't have me in your life, he's going to take me home. And then that's just, well, woo-ha, man. I mean, that's just a blessing. 
absent from the body is present with the Lord. That is the foundation for Christian boldness. When you come to the place where, man, what is the worst thing that can happen to me? Oh yeah, I'll die. Whoop-de-doo. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That doesn't mean we're crazy or suicidal. It means we're just not afraid. As for me in my life, I'm serving the Lord. Uh, nobody has to like it. I pray you like it. I don't want to be an idiot. I want to be an investor. I want to be an encourager. I want to be used of God to build you up in your faith. In these last four verses, I want you to see just the lion coming out in Paul begins to show through in this letter to the church at Philippi. Let's look at verse 27. I want you to see his boldness of faith. Verse 27 says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. There are going to be people that hate what you do. Don't be afraid. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Okay, what I want you to see this morning before we dismiss this service is four things. I want you to see four things that form the basis for boldness in the, in the Christian walk. Um, I think if you think about the Christians you know um, all over the world. Okay, just think about the believers that you know, maybe at school or at work. Most don't have boldness. And they're worried that they'll end up offending someone. They don't wanna say what the Bible says because they know that that's offensive and they don't wanna do that, they don't wanna say something. They're not bold, they're timid. Now I'm not talking about you being stupid and talking trash and using the Bible to bludgeon people, okay? I'm not talking about that. You're just being stupid and then wondering why nobody wants anything to do with you. I'm just standing for the Lord. Well, maybe you're an idiot. I don't know, you know? Um, I'm talking about Christians who are afraid to say what they believe. We ought to be able to say what the Bible says. Uh, there are hard things in the Bible that people need to hear and they're not gonna like it. But just like those hard things changed our life, some medicine uh, is rough when you first take it, but it has an effective work in our lives, amen? Uh, there are some things that the Bible says that we didn't like it when we heard it the first time, but once we submitted to it, it changed our life. And that's what other people need. So it's sad to see timid Christians. We've got the word of God and we're afraid to bring it up. You wanna know why Christians are such wimps? why Christians wuss out when it's time to say what God says. Christians are wimps when they don't understand who they actually are. When you don't know who you are, you wimp out. Um, I've, it's been a number of years since I've told this story, but the, the example uh, forms an illustration that bears repeating. Whenever I was a little kid, probably third grade, I think I was in third grade elementary school, there was a bully. And uh, he rode my bus, gave, gave, my, gave my, my brothers and sisters a hard time on the bus regularly. He was a grade ahead of me. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else to tell you, but the lunch lady knew what she was doing with the chocolate no-bakes. Knew what she was doing. I fell in love with chocolate no-bake cookies in elementary school. And she wasn't, whoever was in charge of the no-bakes wasn't stingy. You know those separated lunch plates that you get in, in uh, elementary school? Maybe you got them in high school as well. It's got the big section with like the circle and then the three, okay. She would fill that middle back section. It would be completely full of no-bake no cookie. And it was good, y'all. I mean, it was really good. And so I know what, what it, I go through the line, eureka, success, no bake cookies. So it's gonna be the last thing I eat and I'm gonna treasure it as I eat it. 
and uh, I'm eating, I'm about three-fourths of the way through my meal, and the bully comes by, grabs the no-bake cookie, takes a big bite out of it, throws it back down on my plate. Okay, there's no COVID then, but I can't eat that thing now. It's got, it's got bully germs all over it. What am I gonna do, you know? Teacher saw it, saw the whole thing happen. I didn't, I, I, I didn't rat him out, I'm not a snitch. I didn't say anything. I know how prison rules work. I'm not going to say anything to anyone. And uh, the teacher saw it, sent him to the principal's office. And this was back in the day when we had order in our schools, okay? Uh, he got lit up. So he takes a beating and he's told to come back and to apologize to me. And so <laughs> lunch is wrapping up. Here comes the bully. He walks up to me and he leans over to apologize and he says, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> and uh, this, it gets worse. He goes, this, you're not even gonna believe it. But this is it. After Bible club this Wednesday, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> so there's a bunch of us that on our bus route, we wouldn't go home. It was on uh, one, I think it was, a, maybe it was every Wednesday or it was, there was some schedule of Wednesdays where we'd get off the bus at a certain house and the missionary ladies from our church, well, these are the ladies that were instrumental in leading me to Christ, uh, they had Bible club for kids. And we'd do Bible stories, we'd have games, and, and, uh, and, and we'd have refreshments. And, and then afterwards, you know, they'd load us up in their big station wagon and they'd take us home. So this Wednesday, after Bible study, I'm gonna get beat up. I'm gonna get, this guy's gonna kill me. And that, the thought of that, he's a lot bigger than me. The thought of that terrified me. And so I'm gonna die on Wednesday. And I can't tell anybody because that'll just make me a crybaby chicken. It's, I, I don't know, it's how boys were wired. I, I don't know why that doesn't make sense. It's just how we, it's just how we, it's just how we're wired. So I can't tell anybody, I'm gonna, I got two days to live. I'm gonna die. I got to thinking about it is this guy gives everybody a hard time and there's not that many upperclassmen from elementary school in the Bible club. It's mostly kids my age or younger at Bible club for kids. And so all I got to do is build my army and we will wipe this scourge off the face of the earth. And so I started talking to the other kids. I'm like, uh, bully says he's going to beat me up uh, Wednesday after Bible club. He's always threatening us. You know, if we just got together and fought together, we could take Bully out. And all the kids got super excited about that. You know, I mean, we're going to take down King Kong is what we're going to do. And so everybody's just wired. And you could tell the hype was building. On Wednesday after Bible Club, we are killing the giant. We are going to slay the monster. And so these kids are amped up. The Bible Club was bad, man. I mean, the missionary ladies had zero control over the kids. I mean, nobody can focus, nobody can pay attention because we're all, we all know, they don't know, but we know we're about to go to war. <laughs> After the Bible club, we go out and, <laughs> and these kids, everybody is just so hopped up. Kids just start fighting each other. <laughs> it's just kids are wrestling everywhere and it's just going on. And I'm, I'm kind of like doing one of these numbers. You know, I got my back to everything and I just keep like, where's the bully? And it's just a melee, kids going crazy. And I thought, you know what, it's time for us to go. I might've just dodged the bullet anyway. And then finally, around the corner of the house, here comes the bully and he says, I've fought every kid here. <laughs> and now I'm gonna take you out, I'm gonna kill you. And I'm like, oh, it's time to face the music. And I, he walks over, and none of us really know how to fight. He walks over, and he grabs me, and he tries to throw me down on the ground. But I'm afraid, and I'm going to resist him passively, but I'm not going to let him just throw me down on the ground. And so I, you know, I, I balance, and, I'm, and he tries, and he tries, and he can't, he can't throw me down to the ground. And all of a sudden, it hits me. It's like, he can't throw me down to the ground. What, what, what in the world? So I'm like, well, what do I do? The last fight I'd gotten in, I'd gotten a guy down on the ground and I just tickled him until he gave up. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, I'll get him down on the ground. And so I grabbed him and I threw him down on the ground. He, I mean, he just went right down and I'm like, what in the world? I mean, like, Eureka. So I, I jumped on him. I didn't know what else to do and I'm trying to decide what I do from here. He's trying to get 
he's trying to get loose, but I've got him wrapped up and I won't let him go. And in the process of that, it, it, he, his nose got tweaked and it's, now his nose is bleeding. And I'm like, bully, your nose is bleeding. And he does this, he sees the blood and he starts crying. Let me go. And he runs off and he tells on me. Sammy Miles bloodied my nose. So that's the end of the party. The missionary ladies take everybody home. Uh, I get brought home last and I get trotted up to my father. He was in the driveway. He's welding up something, uh, doing some project for someone. They inform me that I beat up a kid at Bible club. Poor bully, got a bloody nose. The kids were crazy. Don't know what your boy's up to, but it's no good. And he's like, okay, I'll take care of it. They leave and he goes, so it was bully, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And he just looks at me and goes, good job. <laughs> and then that was it. So for the rest of the day, I'm just in awe and wonder, what happened? What in the world happened? And by the end of the night, I'd sussed it out. My dad worked me like a rented mule. I grew up on a farm. My dad worked me like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, if you're a redheaded stepchild, no offense, I don't mean to offend you, but that's just a saying that we came up with in the Ozarks. Okay, so, I mean, I got, I got worked. Um, I had to split wood, I had to carry wood, I had to, I mean, I had to hoe the garden. I, 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 I grew up on a farm. And Bully grew up watching TV. And so there's a difference, even though he's older and he's a foot taller, uh, because of who my father was, and the work that my father had for me, I was more than equipped to be able to stand in the face of adversary. Does that make sense? And I started doing the math on that, and I went to bed with a shishire grin on my face. And the next morning, I'm walking down the elementary, I mean, I'm not just walking down the halls in elementary, I'm strutting down the halls in elementary. Somebody looks at me, I'm like, what, you want some? <laughs> so trust me, you don't want any of this. <laughs> In other words, I went from being this timid little kid to somebody who knew who he was in his father. Does that make sense? Now, you'll be happy to know I didn't turn into the school bully, uh, but I was done being afraid of school bullies. And I was done putting up with big kids picking on little, ki little kids that were going to happen in my school, not on my watch. Uh, I was a new man on a new mission because I knew who I was in my father. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? Uh, amen in the chat, if this makes sense. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so you need to know who you are in your father. So how can Christians know what they have and live in a position of strength? How can they live so that they have boldness? Number one, Christians are bold when they know they're living right. Man, when you're in sin, you can't look anybody in the eye. Verse 27 says, only let your conversation, the way you're living as a Christian, your lifestyle, not just what you say, how you roll. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word becoming means appropriate, suitable. In other words, when something is becoming, right, let's say you bought a new suit. Now that's very becoming on you. What are we saying? It looks good on you. It looks suitable to you. So Paul's point is that your lifestyle should look good on the gospel. The way you're living, Right, the gospel's wearing you, brother and sister. So it ought to, how you live ought to look good on the gospel. So here's the question, you wanna get this down in your notes. Does your life reflect the fact that you've been born again? Those are your next two blanks. Does your life reflect the fact that you've been born again? In other words, when other people look at your life, will they look at it and say, I wanna be like them. I, I, I need to be, I mean, since we're talking about becoming, I need to become a Christian. In other words, does your life, do you live a life of integrity and character? The way you roll, is it living right with the Lord according to his word? Ephesians 4 says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Live like Christ, right? Walk with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Colossians chapter one, verse 10 says, we're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Second Peter chapter three, verse 14 says, wherefore beloved, seeing that you look for such things, right, since you see the eternal perspective, the eternal promises, be diligent, 
that you may be found in him, of him, in peace without spot and blameless. Since you know Christ is coming, be found of him, living right with him. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Keep a finger here in Philippians chapter 1. Just keep moving over and, 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 and right there, right, come to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. You're God's child, live like God's child. Walk in love, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Christ gives us the example of how to carry ourselves. And so here it is. And hath given himself. He loves us, so he gives himself for us. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It's all for God. But you know something? When me and my dog are on good terms, okay, Maggie, she moves through the house with boldness and grace. But she slinks through the house when she knows she's not on my good side. Have you noticed that? Do you have a dog? Have you ever experienced that? You don't know that? But it's the same thing in any relationship. When you know that everything's right, well then, you're bold. You're free to move. But when you know something is wrong, there's been an offense, that, that makes you timid. See, nothing deflates your boldness like knowing you're living wrong. People hide to sin. So instead of being bold, they withdraw. You know who else hides? Cowards. Cowards hide. You show, some, you show me someone who is bold in their sin, they wipe their mouth and they say they've done no wrong. And I'll show you someone that's only hyping themselves. It cannot last. People hide to sin and guess what? Cowards hide. Look at verse three. There's problem lifestyles. Verse three says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint's. Living a lifestyle of sexual immorality, living a lifestyle of covetousness, uh, that doesn't look good on the gospel. And nobody should ever say that a Christian lives that way. Well, I, I, I know I'm a believer, I know what the Bible says, but I'm gonna keep shacking up. I'm gonna keep sleeping uh, with my SO, right? Um, well, you're not gonna do that, attend here and call yourself a member of MBT, that's not, that's not gonna work. Well, what if I make a mistake? Well, confess it, get it right. You know, get right with God. Repent. Follow the word, not your flesh. Do that. Uh, there's not a one of us that has arrived. Amen? Uh, we can work with people who are weak and repentant and are following the Lord. What we can't work with is wicked rebellion against the word of God. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. That should not ever be said of a Christian. You live that way, what you're saying to the rest of the world is a life of Christ does not work. It's hard to walk like a man of God when you're living like a punk. It's hard to look God in the eye when your life is in the gutter. So what's in your life? God didn't save you to sat, so, so you could just live your life satisfying your genitalia, pursuing things that aren't yours. God saved you so that you could walk with him. So there's problem lifestyles. What about your mouth? Verse four, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. So obscenities, dirty jokes, improper language coming out of the mouth of a Christian, well, that's not, that, that's not becoming of the gospel. And so if you're talking trash and then you're wondering why you can't speak the word of God with power, do the math. See, there's things that should never be true of a Christian. You show me someone who can live in a state of fornication, a filthy life that's not biblical for them, and I'll show you someone that's a Christian in name only. You can't be a Christian and stay living there, not, with the, not grieving the spirit at that level. You, you call yourself a Christian, but you're living in fornication. Guess what? Best case scenario, the Holy Spirit is grieved beyond measure. Worst case scenario, you had a profession, but there's no reality. You see, you got a lot of people who deceive themselves and they call themselves believers, but if the living is lost, do the math. Every tree bears fruit and it's always in kind. If I'm an apple tree, I don't produce pears, right? If I'm an apple tree, I don't produce walnuts. Okay, if what's coming out of my life is sin, 
Best case scenario, that's my flesh having its way for a time, but I'm not gonna be able to live getting away with that. Does that make sense? God is in the business of conforming me to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can keep living that way, I keep getting away with that, it's probably because I'm a lost man. For ye know this, right? For this ye know, that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who isn't an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to get this. Paul's point is that these problems should never be part of the Christian life. Why? It's not becoming of the gospel. It makes Christ look bad and it makes a sacrifice for our sin and the resurrection for our soul look powerless. Man, I've been born again. There's a sense in which I've already been raised from the dead, right? That new life in Christ ought to be evident in my life. So we're not bold when we're not right with God. Number two, Paul gives us another reason for boldness. Christians are bold when they understand that we have each other. Man, you're not alone. You know, when you're alone and it's dark, you're in a dark place, it's dark and scary, you, you might get intimidated, but you're not alone. Uh, you've got, I mean, you've got a band of brothers. There's a fellowship of the ring. Look at verse 27. Only let your lifestyle be as becoming, right? Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the, for the faith of the gospel. Not only do you have me, Paul says, but you've got one another. If I can't come and see you for myself, here's what I wanna hear. I wanna hear that you're standing together, standing fast, and that happens in two ways, as one spirit, Stand fast in one spirit? How do we do that? How can, how, can, how can Mitch, Brandon, and I all stand fast in one spirit? How's that work? Okay. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if I'm born again, and my spirit is now one with God, and Pastor Briscoe's born again, and his spirit is one with God. Mitch is born again, his spirit is one with God. Guess what our spirits are? Our spirit is one with God. Guess what? We're, we have the capacity, God has made it possible for us to stand fast in one spirit. When you get saved, God gives you unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So our job is to make sure that nothing mess up, messes up, nothing, 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 nothing disrespects or disrupts that relationship that we have together in Christ. In Ephesians 4, we just saw this. What do we do? Well, we're all made out of dirt. We all have um, a, a treasure hidden in earthen vessels. And sometimes, right, Things can get chipped and muddy and, I mean, there's problems. So what do we do? With lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, Ephesians 4, 2, we forbear one another in love. We can put up with a lot from one another because we recognize the treasure that we have. This is somebody that Christ bled out to purchase and put in the family. We can put up with a lot. So we put up, we forbear uh, we can bear for a long time one another in love. But then number three, if we're gonna strive, we're gonna do it right. Endeavoring, right? What are we working for? We're endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. So we need to keep the unity that God gives us. This is why in our ministry principles, uh, and this is a big one, we say we protect unity because the Lord has given us one spirit. So we're gonna strive together as in one spirit and we're gonna endeavor, we're gonna fight, we're gonna work to keep the unity that God's given us in our family relationship. But then we also stand in one mind. Okay, how do we do that? Well, that's the same, it works the same way that it works in the spirit. Okay, if we've all got the same relationship with God, our spirit is joined to the Lord, guess what? We're to all have the mind of Christ. What mind, so, so the way that this works is that you don't think and believe what I think and believe. We all just think and believe what the word of God says to think and believe, what Jesus thinks and believes. And that fixes our focus. We follow one rule, one standard for life, and that's the word of God, nothing else. Let God be true and Miles a liar. Let God be true and Eric a liar. Let God be true. That's the bottom line. Proverbs 6.23 says, the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. 
and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Man, I need to let the word of God be the way of life for me, and you do too. And if I start thinking like the Bible, and you start thinking like the Bible, guess what? We're gonna think alike, and then we're gonna stand together. We're gonna stand fast, not just in our family relationship, but also in the way we think and roll. It's the word of God that's the final authority for our lives, and it's infallible. It cannot be overturned, it cannot be contradicted. And it will rule over you if you'll let it. It's powerful, it'll pierce your heart. It'll get you to quit living and acting stupid. Praise the Lord for the word of God. It'll convict you, it'll redirect you. There's nothing like it. So get into one of our Bible studies. You say, well, we're all separated. Thank God for the internet, amen? If you're not in a Bible study, it's like we said at the beginning of this whole thing, if you don't have somebody to partner with you, email us at info at mbtkc.org. We'll make sure you get paired up somewhere. So you got people in your life that can Ephesians for you, that can build you up in your faith. Get into a Bible study. You know, especially during times of distress, during this time of the, the COVID pandemic, we gotta get on the same page together. We gotta get in the word of God together because that's gonna keep us standing fast in one mind. And then we need to strive together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So that's what we do in the ministry here. Okay, so what's your, what's your part in our fight together for the gospel? What's your part? How are you helping move the ministry forward? What's your post, right? What's your part in manning this ministry? Have you been fitly joined? Have you found your place in the body of Christ? Who are you witnessing to? Who, do you, who are you inviting to the live stream or to attend with you? Who do you have that you're in cahoots with to make ministry move forward? Man, everybody ought to have somebody that they're in cahoots with. Let the whole church say cahoots, right? Text somebody and say, hey, I'm so glad we're cahooting. <laughs> if you don't have anybody to cahoot with, man, that's just sad. Don't waste your life. We need bumper stickers. Cahooting. Who are you in cahoots with? Who are you serving together with in ministry? How are you building this ministry? If you can't see how your life is playing a part in seeing what we're doing at Midtown Baptist Temple move forward in ministry to win souls, to make disciples, to train, equip, and send proven leaders, right? If you can't see how what your life, I mean, at a minimum, be like, be a wiser version of that, 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 that sad little servant that got that one talent. At least, at least tithe, right? Just get, send your money to another, another brother or sister that can put it to work for you. At least do that. But you can do so much more than that, right? You can be a part of an Ephesians 4 ministry where God's using you to build other people up in their faith. Go through the path of growth for discipleship. Get equipped to take the word of God and invest it in the lives of others. Number three, Christians are bold when they realize that their enemies are angry with their own future. People will get angry with you, but it's really, at the end of the day, in the final analysis, they're angry over their own future. Verse 28 says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them, okay, what is to them? Remember what we're doing? Paul says, I want to hear what you're doing in ministry. I want to hear that you're, you're standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I want to know that you're winning souls and making disciples, training, equipping leaders, sending proven leaders to see ministry multiply. And some people are going to have a problem with that. They're going to be adversarial. They're not going to like what you're doing in ministry. So your, per, your proclamation of the gospel is to them an evident token of perdition or destruction, but to you of salvation and that of God. In other words, I can make the following statement. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world to save them from a certain and eternal hell. All we must do is trust in him, right? Put our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. I can make that statement and if you're saved, hearing that statement, it gives you a warm fuzzy. Man, I did that. I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Yesterday, I was going to hell over my sin, my offense before God, but 
Today I've been justified. I've been born again. I've got a new life in Christ. I'm, I'm God's child. And I'm in cahoots with God, all, all God's other children. And it's, man, it's just awesome to have a life in Christ. You can hear that statement and it puts warm fuzzies in the cockles of your heart. And you know, right? You know that you have cockles in your heart because they're warm and fuzzy. Okay, so there it is. If you are with Christ in your life, that makes you glad. But if you're without Christ in your life, if you know you're not saved, if Christ is not your Savior and He's sure not your Lord, then you hear that statement and it makes you nervous. And some people will take violent exception to the stance that eternal life can only be found in the finished work of Christ at Calvary. They hate that message. They hate that bloody gospel. And they hate the fact that the Bible's so emphatic. No man cometh to the Father except by Jesus Christ and the finished work at Calvary. See, there are times where a lost person can simply see the peace, joy, contentment that a believer has in Christ, and because they don't have that peace, joy, and contentment in Christ, then they hate the Christian for having it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that in your life? Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Genesis chapter four, verse four says, Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And he murdered his little brother, right? He murdered his little brother over his little brother's right relationship with the Lord. Abel has a right relationship with God and his older brother hates him for it. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that if Abel would have known that his brother was gonna kill him for following God, do you think that he would have bought some squash from his brother and then offered that? It's a good question, something to think about. No, I don't think so. See, I think when your heart is set on obeying God, well then there's no other options. Uh, we must obey God rather than men. Do you think that he'll ever regret, do you think Abel today regrets his decision to obey God and offering the firstlings of his flock? Do you think he regrets that today? I don't think so. But what we do is we shrink and we grow timid, we hide in, 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 in timidness out of fear of, the, uh, you know, of what somebody will think if we invite him to church. I don't think Abel wishes, man, I wish I'd have bought some squash from Cain so he didn't kill me. Could have at least offered that. I could have, could have lived out my life. And had, no, I don't think so. But we're afraid. You know, Abel did what was right because it was right. We're afraid to just invite somebody because they're going to be offended over us inviting them to have church. Or, or people, we're afraid, we're afraid of what people will think if we invite them to church or, or today over just simply holding services. What will the lost world think about us holding services during a time of pandemic? Well, I don't know what to tell you. The mayor thinks it's okay, so we're going to do it. Praise the Lord. Uh, more importantly, who cares what the mayor thinks? What does God say? At the end of the day, we're going to have to find a way to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, and the live stream is only going to cut it for so long. At some point, whether it's me calling you or the Holy Spirit compelling you, brothers and sisters, there will be a time and a place where we're going to need to come back together, and we're going to need to be able to worship the Lord together because we are the church that meets. We are the assembly at 40th and Walnut. Uh, this is just for a time, and we are assembling on live stream, and because there is so much uncertainty, nobody's pressing that point, but I'm telling you, that day will eventually come. Well, what will, the, what will Midtown think about us holding services? Well, what does God think about us holding services? And let's be smart, let's be reasonable, let's make sure that we're managing ourselves in a way that is hygienically safe and healthy and that uh, protects our members. And we've all got people that we know that are immunocompromised. Let's be wise and let's make sure that we protect them. But at the end of the day, KC's opening up and we're gonna gather physically as we have the space and the opportunity to do it safe, safely. Right now, if you have kids, there's no kid town, be at peace, right? Don't worry. Don't think about, let's not worry about what the lost think about it. Let's worry about what God thinks about it. 
Let's not be timid, let's be loving, let's be winsome, but let's be firm in our resolve to honor the Lord as he enables us because that's the path to fruit bearing anyway. We want God to say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the goal at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, let's have him say it right now. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me trust you with some more fruit. Does that make sense? So, you know, we've just got a handful here this morning. Over time, that will be able to grow. Um, Let's get full of faith. So Christian, get it down. Get it down. If you're really gonna prepare yourself to go for everything that God wants you to experience, then you're gonna need to get your head around boldness producer number four. Here it is, Christians are bold when they understand that suffering is a privilege. Look at verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. So everybody gets the gift of belief. Everybody has the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody gets that first opportunity, Uh, belief is your next blank. People say, well, not everybody, not everybody gets the gift of belief. I mean, how about about the people that have never heard? I mean, how can God be so good when there's millions of people who have not even heard the name of Jesus? Okay, wow, I mean, that's like a flea speaking against the dog that it survives on. How can God be good when so many people haven't heard? Ooh, that's a pretty bold statement. By the way, my Bible tells me that the judge of all the earth does what's right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Do we believe that? God meets people where they're at. And in Acts chapter one, the Bible's very clear that creation points to the creator. And if you do the math on that, everybody comes to the conclusion, this is what the Bible says, everybody comes to the conclusion, they know there's a creator. The question is, Will they submit to the creator? Will they get wise in their own conceits? If they get wise in their own conceits, well then God's position is, is my first gospel tract is creation. And if you thumb your nose at that, well then that's on you. You know, in uh, Acts chapter 10, there's a guy who just knows there's a God and he's calling out and so God makes sure he gets the gospel. There are countless missionary stories that follow that format where, where people who have never heard the name Jesus, they've never heard the gospel, know that there's a creator and they want to know him. They want to know him more. And God sends the missionaries and they get the gospel of Jesus Christ. The principle is this, when you obey the light that you're given, well then God will make sure you get more. If you reject the witness of creation, well then that's on you. But God isn't satisfied with that. This is why he's partnered with the church and he's placed us, he's enabled us and he's placed us in the ministry with him. And the fact that the nations haven't heard, right, there are people in the nations that haven't heard the name of Jesus Christ, that is a black mark on the church. That is a strike against us. The fact that anybody can say they've never heard the name of Jesus is because the church is wise in her own conceits, and all she wants to do is hold services. All she wants to do, the church wants to do, is to be comfortable and rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Guess what? We need to get the gospel out. We need to win souls, make disciples. We need to train and equip leaders, and those that are proven, we need to send out and multiply the ministry because everybody needs the opportunity to believe. Everybody has a valid opportunity to hear the gospel. God makes sure of that. But somebody has to go and give it. So it's given to you on the behalf of Christ to believe on Jesus, but wait, there's more. It gets better. Not only do you get eternal life, it's even better than that. I mean, isn't eternal life great? It's great. It's good to be born again. It's good to know that heaven is your destiny, but God has even more for you. You get to suffer. Not one amen in the room. Any amens in the chat? Somebody check the chat. Any amens in the chat? You get to suffer. It's given to you, right? But also to suffer for his sake. So there's the the gift of suffering. Every Christian gets the opportunity to suffer for his sake. And when you view it like Paul as a privilege, well, now you can face anything. There's nothing more awesome, more powerful than someone who can know that they're all in for the mission. You are called to suffer. And when you embrace that, man, you are forced to be reckoned with. 
It's like the kamikaze pilots in World War II. Uh, these guys were terrifying in the world because, in the war, because they were willing to sacrifice themselves, their plane, in order to take out the enemy. At least 47 Allied ships were sunk by kamikaze fighters, and a further 300 ships were seriously damaged. It was known as the terror of the kamikaze. We need more kamikaze Christians. Now, be careful, I'm not promoting terrorism, not in any way. What we need are kamikaze Christians who are willing to hazard their lives for the sake of the gospel. And if giving, right, if obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, if giving the gospel, if making disciples, if equipping people to multiply ministry, if that costs me my life, well then that's a great way to spend my life. Man, that is a great way. I wanna put my life on the altar of God's call, and that's all that matters. And if God takes me home, so be it. I think it's better, since I'm breathing, and I'm taking up real estate and skin and space, right? I think it's better while I'm here to just Ephesians for you, to build you up in your faith. But whether God calls me home or leaves me here to minister, God knows. By the way, it's better to depart and be with Christ. If God does take you home, well then you're home. Isn't it good to get home? Long day of working, you're working hard, your body hurts, you're all sweaty, you're stinky, you need a bath. It's just good to go home, take a shower, lay down. Nothing quite like your own bed, your own... Man, that's awesome. When God takes us home, do you think we'll be over there with Abel? Oh, man, it was just horrible. I gave my life just being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, there's just so much I missed out on. Um, said no one in heaven. Where are the Christians who are living and dying for the mission? Now, again, let's be safe in the current COVID-19 environs, right? Let's be, let's be wise, but let's be bold to minister. Where are the Christians who look at each conversation, every activity of their life as an opportunity to strive together for the gospel? You know what our problem is? We don't love it. We don't savor the things that God savors. We don't love the ministry. We haven't yet addicted ourselves to the ministry. We don't love it, we love chicken. We don't love laying our lives down for the work of God. We love fried chicken. And what we need is revival. We said this last week. When you understand that your physical life is, is there just to minister at the Lord's direction and discretion, and at the end of your life, that's just promotion into the very presence of God, that forms the foundation for Christ, Christian boldness. You'll end up living like a lion, uh, walking like a lion among sheep. Not to eat them, but to convert them to baby cubs and see them grow up to be lions themselves. Paul's lion is showing, right? I mean, he is, he is like, man, they kill me, they kill me. That'll be good for me, but as long as I'm here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God told me to do, and I'm going to invest my life in yours. That's what I'm praying that God will do at Midtown Baptist Temple, that we'll get full of faith, not fear, that we'll get full of boldness, and we'll lay our lives down, right, on the altar of sacrifice because our God is great and he must be praised greatly and he's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. That means everybody needs to know him so that everybody can worship him. Amen. I'd like us to bow our heads. I'd like us to close our eyes. We're going to